The information contained in this podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute investment or financial advice. You should seek tailored advice that is specific to your circumstances before making any investment decision. The Good Investing Podcast connects you with successful investors and business leaders who invest in or are experts in a range of industries, but do it with a difference. These leaders of industry are the best at what they do in their chosen field, but all have one thing in common. They are passionate about doing things the right way. They are not-for-profit pioneers. They are good governance experts. They are social entrepreneurs. They consider financial and social investments thoughtfully for the long term. So it is about the values of the people we hire, the values of people we put in leadership because you can't do it all yourself. But I've got to also admit that I think because culture and and the approach that we've taken has always been so important to me, it's why I found it more difficult to slow down because as we've got bigger, I still want my people to understand our story. I still want them to maintain that humility and I still want them to make sure that they value relationships. Be inspired to make a bigger difference in the things that matter. Proudly presented by Ethical Partners Funds Management. Hello, my name is Nathan Parkin. I'm the Investment Director and Co-Founder of Ethical Partners Funds Management. Got Barry Irvin with me today. Barry is the Executive Chairman of Bega Cheese, a company that he has been on the board of for over 20 years. Barry's leadership has seen Bega grow from a small regionally based dairy company to now one of the largest diversified dairy companies in Australia, supplying a large range of dairy and grocery products in Australia and around the world. He also serves as a chairman of Giant Steps, a not-for-profit organisation providing services to children and young adults with autism. In 2008, Barry was awarded a member of the Order of Australia for contributions to children with disability and the Australian dairy industry. In 2009, he was awarded the NAB Agribusiness Leader of the Year. Barry, welcome to the Ethical Partners Good Investing Podcast. Thank you, Nathan. Nice to be here. All right. Can we start with your upbringing? Part of a fifth or sixth generation dairy farming family in humble beginnings. Um, can just talk about that for a moment? Sure. Sure. So, Look, Nathan, it was a, it, it was a, let's, let's just say a, uh, a reasonably, um, uh, 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 challenging upbringing, if you like, but we, you know, not a lot of money, a lot of hard work. Um, um, you know, basically, I think like a lot of kids on dairy farms, I was another labor unit from a very young age. Um, and, and we, we, we didn't have a lot of money, but on the other hand, um, for a lot of that time, I didn't know we didn't have a lot of money, and and I and I learnt to be very sort of self sufficient and self entertaining on the farm, and and uh, and you know it was it was it was a tough upbringing, but one that when I look back on it, uh, you know I, I I don't regret anything in terms of that that upbringing. And how do you feel those humble beginnings sort of shaped your life and also also your career? So I think it was interesting, Nathan. I guess there's a couple of things. I I think early on, I I would have said that it did forge a wish for something better in me. So it did make me want to look outside the sort of limitations of that life, if you like, and, 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 and see the world and have perhaps a different life. So I sometimes, if you like, looked over the fence wishing for something better. Um, but it also gave me a series of skills and, and things that I didn't realize until later in life. Um, and I found it really sort of, I could, I'm no good at golf, Nathan. I'm no good at, I'm no, any sports that cost you money, I was, I'm no good at because I never learned to play them when I was a kid. But when I got older, I could ride motorbikes and I could ride horses and I could I could fix any engine that you could put at me. And and you know, 
I could row a, row a kayak and most of the gear I had, I found at the dump and fixed. And, and the irony was that later on when I started to trek and bike ride and people would look at me and go, gee, you're very skillful at that. And I went, I actually don't know why, but when I look back on it, it was because, uh, that I had to be, I had to be self-sufficient and resilient. And, and I think, you know, as life unfolded, those things became probably more important than, than the things that I might have got if we had had a little bit more money. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to predict how important those things actually end up being in life in general and and in business as well. We we um we read about somewhere that you did a deal with your father to stay on to year twelve and you had to do your share of the milking at four a.m. Good deal. Well, again, looking back on it, it was my first real negotiation um, and it was the first time that I thought, well, i got to try and give the other side what they want if I get what I want uh, for me to get what I want. And and that was indeed 4am starts most mornings and, um, you know, then then straight off to school and then coming home on the school bus, looking down the, the, the laneway to see that the cows were just on their way back to the dairy. So I was going to milk them that afternoon before I went home and, and started my homework. So... It was a it was a tough deal, but in the end, you know, like all deals, I got to do what I needed to do. And my dad, who had, you know, quite frankly seen me, as I said, as a labor unit and thought that you needed to leave school at 14 and nine months so you could help on the farm. And I I I wanted more than that. And so that's how that's how I did it. And um and again, I'd look back on it and say, Well, boy, I learned how to work, you know. And that was, and that's again turned out to be important. We also read you topped the school, so must have been a lot, a lot involved in in in, in achieving that. So yeah, amazing. Look, it was it was it was it was it was competitive at, at being a high school, and it was good to be in the in the upper echelons. But the truth was, and again, my parents couldn't necessarily understand it. So it's interesting around. So what would I do? I would eat breakfast and run straight to my room and study, and then you know at lunchtime I'd eat lunch quickly and I go go straight to my room and study, and I would do that at night as well. And and. Uh, my parents used to get irritated with me for locking myself in the room and studying, which I know would seem quite strange in this day and age. But and look, and the truth is, Nathan, they were probably uh, really irritated me, with me when I finished year twelve, and they realised that there was an objective that I hadn't necessarily shared with them, and that that I wasn't going to be going back to the farm straight away. Mm, you went and worked for a, a bank. I yes. Think. Yeah. Yeah. And I and look, I am I'm one of those people that still thinks big institutions have an important role to play, especially for young young people such as I was back then that, you know, don't have the means to, to perhaps go to university and challenge, go for higher education and all those things. And so I started in a in the branch of a bank and the branch then transferred me up to Sydney and trained me and kept developing me. And I do actually believe in banks and government organisations and all those sorts of things that can take, that can give you a path. And to a certain extent, it's what I wanted Bega to be. Mm. Got a bunch of questions about Bega and just the cycle and the like and, and the transactions that have occurred in the dairy industry over the last 20 years, just before we do that, um, you made a, uh, if we go to the kind of 1990s now, you, you had a major part in establishing Giant Steps um, as a provider of treatment and education for children with autism. Um, now one of the leading organisations of its type in Australia. Um, can you tell us the story behind that and, and how you went about creating Giant Steps um, as a startup? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, 
So look, it, it, again, I always go, it's amazing what desperation will do, Nathan. So the truth is um, my youngest uh, child, my youngest son is uh, profoundly autistic. Uh, and back 25 odd years ago, um, he was so profoundly autistic that even when we took him to special schools, they would look at him and say, there's not a place for him here. And there wasn't a place for Matthew anywhere. And so I began by obviously trying in Bega and then trying in Canberra and then trying in Sydney. Uh, and it's funny how, how sort of the, the simplest thing can liberate your mind. As I left the, the then autistic, autistic special school that said to me, we can maybe deal with him an hour a week. Wow. Uh, I was walking down the path and one of the teachers ran after me and said, don't bring him here. He, and, and I said, I, I'm, almost out of ideas and she said Barry what you're looking for doesn't exist <laughs> and and the irony was I, I two things I couldn't believe I was the only one and I did come across a small group of families that were trying to put something together so I joined them and very quickly within six months uprooted the whole family I began to commute I moved them to uh um Sydney and I began to commute from Bega to Sydney and we and 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 the way we did it as a startup is that we basically called on everybody we knew, called on the various skills that people had within that group and the various connections they had. And we got a we got a derelict building on the old Gladesville hospital site. Um, we did our best to put it together. And as I said, those those all those skills I learned as a kid were suddenly valuable as I as I applied, you know, my rudimentary building skills. But they all they all worked and we asked our friends to help. And it, and and that was the beginning of, of of giant steps and and you know and we've you know to be frank, we've continued to ask people to help, but in a way, it is a style of investment. It's just, I always say, Nathan, it's the um, it's the world's worst business plan for the world's best reason, and that's to look after these profoundly autistic kids. That if we're not there, um, you will find them in lockdown institutions or perhaps locked away at home. So, so and and so people invest in that plan, which is a different sort of plan than returns, but it's it, but it's still an investment, and um, and it's. You know, we've we've been blessed with an enormous amount of support. Yeah, and a profoundly important investment as well. Do, do you know um, roughly how many people that the Giant Steps has helped over the over that period? So it would be now moving into the thousands, and obviously, and and our um and our our uh, sort of test, if you like, Nathan, which would seem a little bit strange, is if we can keep families together, if we, so it's not just about giving support to the, to the autistic child or young girl or young guy or now young adult. Um, it's about saying, can we provide support for the entire family? Because, you know, quite often you'll find, you'll see family breakdown, you know, in, in those areas can be running at about 80%. And so us keeping families together is, is fantastic. So it's not, just about making sure that the the child is okay and well supported. It's about making sure the whole family is supported. So we have, so we have family psychologists. We have we have a mental health clinic on site. Um, we have you know all sorts of outreach services as well as the main service. And and uh, so yeah, so we've got 138 odd staff across um, Sydney and Melbourne now. And um, uh, and yes. Serve, serve some families for a short period, but some families, such as families such as mine, like Maddie, have gone right through all the programs. And you know, we've been looking after some young adults now for you know the best part of those twenty five years. 
that's that's a fascinating story and, and it's something um you know we, we um have supported and and, and we'll like to continue to do so and i think that's that's uh, something that we would encourage others to do as well um just a such a great cause and 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 the reasons behind it and, and how you established that um a really a really great story um, moving forward uh, a couple of years from then, uh, two years ago, almost now, you were diagnosed with cancer. You've talked a bit about that um, publicly, obviously came as a, a big shock. Uh, shock. Um, how did your work with Giant Steps help put all of that in perspective? So, look, I think there was two things, Nathan. One was, you know, I would say I was a typical male. I was, I've been fortunate most of my life to, you know, I had a handful of sick days my entire life, which seemed to me in my mind meant that I didn't have to go to a doctor <laughs> and, and, and I didn't. And uh, so it all happened very quickly. So literally from the Wednesday to the Friday, I went from thinking I was perfectly healthy to being prepared for major surgery and, and then a long period of chemo. So the, the, I think in terms of uh, giant steps, I obviously couldn't work at Bega Cheese at the time because of the, because of the, but I could, I could keep my involvement with Giant Steps and when, and, and the whole culture of Giant Steps of being this sort of loving, caring, safe place was terribly important to me. So I used to, you know, I had to do exercise. So I would set off walking to Giant Steps and then I would sit with the staff and, you know, they might be doing a submission or something and I would go, well, let me try and write some of that for you or whatever else. And it was that, that whole sense of, which was, I think, you know, the key to happiness sometimes is to, is to push yourself second and and to and to and to not be worried about yourself and perhaps worry about others and and so right through in terms of coping with the treatment and the therapy sort of keeping on going over to giant steps and you know sometimes hearing these little kids really needing help and and you know watching staff be so careful with them and indeed they used to be so careful with me as well when I was sick that it, it I think it really helped me cope both both mentally but also physically um uh, uh, uh yeah obviously a, a real shock but an amazing place to to recover and mm. and and putting yourself second like that just um yeah really puts things in perspective um sometimes you were saying before that um you had a, a go at slowing down um <laughs> weren't that successful at it how's life changed since since then yeah so so look there look I, I it would it would be true to say that the recovery was a lot more difficult than i thought i i i kind of in in i've always i guess had the the blessing of being an optimist so i always thought and, and if i was entirely truthful when they first told me about the chemo they said you know you'll have to have intense chemo every two weeks for the next um six months and i immediately said to them well i'm pretty busy could we not and I'm also a dairy farmer and I'm tougher than you might think. So, so could we do it? You know, could we do it every week for three months? Cause I've got to get back to work. And, um, they said, well, you know, we're going to take you to the edge of death every two weeks, Barry. So if we tried to do that every week, guess what? <laughs> you know, you would die. So, um, so, so the, and, and that same happened when the chemo finished. I thought chemo's finished. I'll have a quick break and I'll go back to work. And as soon as I went back to work, Nathan, it was, it was challenging, uh, a lot of pain. You know, uh, I've still got significant neuropathy in my hands and feet that I have to manage, but, um, I keep thinking I'm getting, I, I get stronger mo most days and I, and I work, I work out new ways. So it took me about six months to teach myself to write. I'm still trying to learn how to ride my bike, but I keep, 
you know, I keep some things, I just accept the change and go, I have to learn a different way. And other things I go, well, um, that's not going to change. That has changed. Just, just move on with life knowing that you can't do certain things. But, but in general, um, the recovery tougher than I thought, but, but, but the key word is recovery. I keep getting better. Yeah, and it is, and it is hard, or it's hard for anyone to, to, to know things have changed, and, mm. and accepting that just, um, yeah, a process. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. It's a process, and you know, and and I and I've and I've in life I've learnt that sometimes it's best to let things wash over you. So the things that you can't change, you should just let wash over you. And, I, and I've even felt that way about. I've never been upset about say having Maddie as a profoundly autistic child. So Maddie still can't speak, he's very limited in what he can do. Um, but I, I enjoy Maddie for who he is and, and, and for what he can do. And, um, and, and I've never felt upset or frustrated by, 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 by Maddie's limitations. I just think it's, and, and I think that again, that's been something that's really helped me in my business life as well as my personal life to just learn. To, to let some things wash over you and, and, and the things that, and focus on the things that you can change. Yeah, an amazing, um, amazing way to, to look at things really. Um, one of my favorite sayings from a, a CEO that we, we knew well that things are, are never as good or as bad as you think they are. Um, and just thinking about the journey that Big has been on and you've seen many cycles in the, in the last 20 years, I'm sure in the dairy industry, lots of change. Um, you know, Big has come out or starting to come out the other side of a, of a, a tough cycle in, in 2019. How do you, yeah, I mean, that philosophy, I'm sure feeds into how you think about what you can't change at the bottom of the cycle and do all the things that you can do and, and, and let things move the way they're going to move. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, so the way I sort of look at it, Nathan, is that information is really important and they, these cycles to a certain extent, they're not a surprise. They happen. So you, so, and, and, and not only do they happen, there are certain triggers and you can actually start to see them develop. And, and for me, it's about preparing for them when you're going in. And so, so preparation is extraordinarily important. Um, and so while you go, there are some things I can't change. There are some things I can prepare for. And there are some things I can manage really carefully through the bottom of the cycle to, to maximize my position as I come out. And, 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 and again, so, so I don't get upset about the cycles because I know they're there. I don't, I don't surrender to them. I kind of try and put in place things that I think will help me do better than my competition, if you like, in those cycles. So some, so sometimes it's not so much about, uh, it's about performing the best you can. So I kind of go, if I can outperform my sector in a low cycle, that's a good outcome. And, you know, it might not be the outcome that we got at the top end of the cycle or whatever else, but it's a good outcome if I can outperform those in my sector and it'll more than likely create opportunity for me. Yeah, that's a that's a really valuable way to think um, about uh, markets as well for us. Um, sometimes it just doesn't go your way, or things don't fall away, or the cycles against you, um, and you've just got to do what you can do and invest the best way you can at those times. I, I would say that um, Bega has been an astute buyer and seller of assets over time, over a long period of time, um, whether it's buying something from a competitor when the ACCC has blocked it or whether an overseas buyer has been blocked and you've, you've stepped in there um, or whether you've bought assets that are in trouble at the, at the bottom of the cycle. Is it What sort of um, characteristics or, or, or things that help you do that? Is it and, and, and knowing when to act 
you know, when you see the opportunity, um, there's a great deal of courage in acting. Lots of people observe, um, but some act when they see things. And both sides of the both sides of the cycle as well. The big has actually mm. done that. Mm. Is it a team of people? Is it a philosophy? Is it knowing those cycles? What do you think are the main things? So, so um, it won't surprise anybody. Nathan to, um, for me to reveal that I'm a talker, <laughs> you know, and so, and so, and so I love to chat away about A, what I think the world can be and B, both what I fear for the company and what my dreams are for the company. And, and, and I do believe in the sort of wisdom of the collective. So, so I actually believe in putting really good knowledge around me. I believe in, in keeping that knowledge for a long time, whether it's in terms of corporate advisory or whether it's even the executive team. I like new knowledge, but I like, I like everybody thinking about what I'm thinking about with, a, with a diverse range of backgrounds and a diverse range of skills. So again, what's that all about? Well, that's all about going. This will help us prepare. And when the moment comes, we'll start from a, from a, from a better knowledge base and, uh, and, 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 and be more ready. We won't be perfectly ready, but we'll be, but again, we'll be likely more ready than our competitors and equally, uh, we'll be more sure about the strategy required because we will have been thinking about this for a very long time. So I, I actually think reflective thought is really important and, and, and to a certain extent, why I always sort of liked very physical activity like long distance treks or bike riding or even working on the farm um, or even or even driving between Sydney and Bega. That was where I could do a lot of reflective thinking and then sort of say, right, I've had this great idea and be very open for people to go, no, that's not a great idea, Barry. But but so so we've we've equally said no to things that I've actually thought we should have said yes to. So so I also don't think all knowledge comes from me. I think it comes from that collective, but I do think I can inspire them to think about it, and then give them the confidence to act. Yep, then that's uh, it's super important because they they don't come along every day either. Um, maybe every couple of years. Yeah. For, in a corporate sense. Yeah, yeah, and, and so so I have a very I tend to have a very open mind as well, Nathan. So I kind of go, can we think about what other people are not thinking about? Mm. And I I think some of the transactions we've done, especially when we were smaller, have surprised, you know, and, and, you know, there wasn't a, a, a wish to surprise, but we were thinking about things that others may not have been. Yeah, maybe one of those times was when when the industry um, faced deregulation uh, in in two thousand. Um, lots of uncertainty there. The price of milk moving around. What was your reaction there? What was the opportunity in that in that time? Yeah, so that was a pretty fearful time. In all honesty, Nathan, we had we had a fair bit of debt. We were we were obviously still a cooperative. We were considered irrelevant to the Australian dairy industry. We were, we were tiny and a long way from everywhere. Um, but there was two things. I mean, one, we, the reason why we had the debt is that we just built Australia's, you know, most modern by a long way cheese cutting, packing and processing plant. Um, we actually believed that we could be so efficient that we could do work for our competitors. Uh, and people saw that really low margin stuff as boring and they didn't want to do it. So, so we could actually trigger a consolidation by being a servant. So, so I kept saying to our guys, we will take the crumbs off the table. We'll just be the servant to others, but that will give us a foundation to work from because we have some unique assets here that others don't. The deregulation itself suddenly meant that we were a tiny player, but we could 
investigate export markets. We were largely procured, um, precluded from them from because it was a single desk and the large dairy companies basically had control of the single desk and there was, and even the regulated market milk markets are all zoned. Because we were tiny, we didn't have much of any of that. All of a sudden, it was all open to us and we were agile enough to be able to find a little bit of money here and there by participating in those markets. And so, so, it, so I always thought, you know what, we are, we are fairly poor and fairly humble, but we're used to being poor and humble. <laughs> and, and so we will, we will, we will use that to our advantage. And, and when I, when I look back, we did sneak up on people then because we kept just making a little bit of money here and there and kept on building. That's like a quite a, a contrarian approach um, at, at a fearful time, which is which is usually a, a good a good time to do things um, and to actually make make those calls. As, as a business is now the third largest dairy player in in, in Australia. Um, you know, companies get institutionalised as they get bigger. How do you? Um, I'm sure keeping your dairy farm and keeping those interests keeps you focused on, on, on your farmer's supplies. But how do you, how do you make sure the culture of biggest days as it was perhaps, you know, back in those, in those days, which I'm sure is important to yeah, you. Yeah, it's very important to me, Nathan. And, and, you know, and equally obviously because of the scare successions really important to me. So, so it, so it is about, the values of the people we hire, the values of people we put in leadership because you can't do it all yourself. But I've got to also admit that I think because culture and, and the approach that we've taken has always been so important to me, it's why I found it more, more difficult to slow down because as we've got bigger, I still want I still want my people to understand our story. I still want them to maintain that humility and I still want them to make sure that they value relationships, you know, across all our stakeholders, whether it's farmers, community, customers, suppliers, whatever else it might be. So you need to tell the story and, and, and I, and I tend to be able to do it, but I've got to admit, um, we've got, um, you know, our CEO and Paul Van Harewarden has a similar background in terms of you know, his father was a, a dairy farmer and Paul grew up on a dairy farm for, for a period of time. And, and so we do tend to have people that, that, that in their very nature, they're humble as well. And, and I think that keeps them grounded. I've got to say that I think the modern business environment suits us in that, uh, the corporate social responsibility side of things, the fact, you know, I see our young people really proud of what we do in the community, what we're trying to do in, the, you know, in terms of our environmental practices and programs and all those sorts of things. And I see that, that generation coming through, that's as important to them as business performance. And the irony of that is that connects them right back down to our supply chain and that connects them right back to our farmers and they want to know what we're doing in that space. And I think that, Helps them understand our culture as well. Yeah, no, that, that and that, and and we'd agree with that. We see it everywhere. Um, when you get that right, um, it tends to improve the business um, in a lot of ways, but also in a financial way and a in a risk in a risk way as well. Do you think, as a general view of business, do you think business can do more um, around you know social responsibility and sustainability as a as a general comment? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and, and I would say as much as we're proud about what we can do, I, I, I always put that same challenge to ourselves that we have to make sure that we don't lose that connection back. So, so the, the, the nice thing about being a regional business and indeed having a lot of, we, we're, we're a little bit unusual in the way we've grown. So most of our, most of our, uh, offices are attached to factories. 
And, 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 and we've, because I've been a commuter and, you know, uh, we've acquired in various places, our executives are scattered across the business, quite often in factories, in communities, sorry, in offices beside factories and in communities. So it, you, when you're, when you're walking down the street and you're seeing your effect, on a town or your effect on your staff or your effect on, 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 on how you can improve a community. It's so much more real. And I, and I think if it's so much more real, it's not hard to get your head around. And you're also th- always then challenging yourself to take that responsibility. Cause I think that's the big thing. Uh, one of the things which sometimes I, I, I think I wish I could give myself a break, but if I see something, I immediately feel responsible for them. Or for it. And I don't think it's somebody else's responsibility. And I think that comes from living in small communities and living in regions. You kind of go, I have to do something about that. I can't leave it to somebody else. And, and which, which means that my answer to that question, that's a long answer, but it'll always be yes, because I think you've got to see it as your own responsibility. Yeah. But business has, um, you know, as it's become more globalized supply chains and, and the like, and we saw the effect of it. Last year during COVID, in in many ways, supply chains were disrupted. Things had become unitized so broadly that um, that there was no connection anymore between those places where business is done and where it might source things. And and, and you take a you know supply chains are so thinly run that one thing goes wrong somewhere else in the world, and, and suddenly there's no product available, or people lose sight of of where things are done. And one of the things we, we're seeing is that bringing that back closer and probably Probably will continue as a trend for some years that companies who would outsource things to overseas are bringing them back to Australia and and doing think more things here probably in the next five years than they would have done in the last five years. I think it's just that people become disconnected. They they actually they may not you know it's an old term to say people operate in silos. It's not so much that they operate in silos, but they but they use subject matter specialists that. That, that tend to say, well, that's, that's happening somehow. I don't know how it's happening, but it's happening somehow. And that doesn't, it, it doesn't get alerted to them until it's almost too late. Whereas, you know, again, the more, the more you can, and, you know, as we get bigger and bigger, it obviously becomes harder and harder, but the more you can, you know, at least have a culture where the people that are out there operating your supply chain, operating your factories go, ah, oh, I think I might drop in and see Barry. There's a bit of a worry, or Paul, or, or Adam, or Mark, or whoever it might be, or, or, or Antoinette. You know, they, you would go. That's actually what you want. You actually want people that can ring the bell, but they don't just ring the bell to the person above them. They ring. They can. They they can feel free to ring or whatever they like, and nobody worries about it. Yeah, and that tra- travel of bad news, how fast that travels, often a really good yeah. um, measure of culture within mm. a, within a business. That if any if anyone wants to actually hear that yeah. quickly, yeah, um, yeah, we we try and encourage that here as well. Um, just your latest acquisition, the Lion Drinks and Dairy business. Um, you've been quoted as saying that's the business you always feared and they have the products to beat us if they ever got their house in order. Well, now you own it. Yeah. Um, just talk briefly about the reasons for buying it and the vision there for that business. 
Yeah, so 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 you know, bigger cheese has long been sort of famous, if you like, for those longer shelf life products. Obviously, cheese, but even infant formulas, milk powders, um, butter, all, all you know, manufactured products that are stored for a long time um, tend to be more commoditized. So you tend, and so you're therefore competing against products from around the world that 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 um, that, that that can take your shelf space um, or your customer. Uh, whereas Line has got that that significant distribution network can reach out to customers from corner stores and service stations as well as retailers uh, they're dealing with a fresh product that they're moving every day it's in the higher value segments of you know flavored milks yogurts um, cream um, white milk obviously and uh, and I always thought that those higher value products well managed uh you had greater opportunity to to diversify your customer base, but you also you also had greater opportunity to to reach many many more customers more regularly. Um, now, I fear that if that if you get those supply chains right, they are higher value products. Uh, it's going to be really hard for a manufacturer who's got a lot of inventory, who's storing it for a long time, who's got a, actually a more significant cost base in a lot of ways um, to compete. Um, now, putting them both together. So what are we really, if I was describing burger cheese in, in a really sort of uh, technical or cold term, we just fractionate milk. We take milk in and we break it up into its various component parts and we do something with the fat and we do something with the protein and we, we put it into a variety of products and store it. So we know about the value of milk from its highest value proteins like such as lactoferrin to its lowest value, value um, pieces, whole milk powder. Um Line knows about the customer and retail and getting to a customer quickly and how you access them and whatever else, and, and they know fresh product really well. So if we can actually maximise the value of that litre on the way through the supply chain as well as then going out to the supply, uh, we should have a, a business that, that, that can compete against um, virtually any other player in the market, and uh, that's the attraction. Um, but that was what I feared. Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a that's a fair comment, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, no, well, that that that's a good opportunity. Now it's now it's in your hands, and and you know, bought at a time again where where others couldn't or wouldn't buy, and um, you, you stepped up to the plate. Some different questions now about uh, leadership and other things. Um, one of the most important aspects of, of good leadership, what, what is it um, that you think is often overlooked? So funny enough, I've talked about it a bit, Nathan, but I actually think good leaders need to be humble. They, they need that. They need to lead, but they but but they need they need to make sure they are listening and hearing and 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 you know so I think you know and if if I've learned anything in leadership, the danger of cutting somebody off before you've actually reflected on what they've got to say um, is that you actually you know sometimes that mightn't matter, but but there'll be the occasions where you'll actually miss the vital piece of information and and and. Uh, or you'll, or you won't reflect enough on what they're trying to say to you. So, so I kind of go, you, you, you need to believe that knowledge comes from everywhere. So, so you, you shouldn't believe that, you know, in a hierarchical sense, knowledge just comes from this person above me or this person that's been more successful than me or whatever. Knowledge comes from everywhere. So you need to be humble enough to listen. Um, and then the other thing that I think 
people don't um, think about enough is that even no matter how experienced you are, you have to be reflective and you have to have a long view. So I, I do worry a little sometimes around, you know, when people say, why doesn't Australia have as much innovation or as much, or, or indeed, you know, I look at food and agriculture and go, why have we fundamentally left the, the, the manufacturing and the marketing of, of our very well produced agricultural products to international companies and to others? And we've not been willing to invest in it ourselves. And, and part of that is a longer view. And I've always, I've always thought so, so, so reflection around a longer view, those cycles you were talking about earlier, you've got to be able to see through them. Yep. Um, and a, a really good perspective and yeah, just li- listening, um, yeah, to, more valuable than people, m- most people would think. Um, is there a person that's inspired you in a, in your career, um, that you can think of? Yeah, that's a, it's an, look, I've had lots of great mentors, but I, you know, thinking about that, this might, this will probably surprise people, but the, but the leader that, that I most admire and, and wouldn't be a surprise given my background that I'm, I would be considered a conservative and, a, and somebody that would be likely to be a liberal party voter. And, and, you know, in true confessions, that's probably right. But, but Paul Keating was somebody that I significantly admired. Not necessarily his behaviour, but when, you know, I would recommend to anybody, but when you, when you read Confessions of a Bleeding Heart and you read about the thoughts that he had, you know, he fundamentally restructured and redesigned the Australian economy. He fundamentally deregulated. He floated the dollar. He talked about Indigenous relationships and, and the responsibility that, that, that we had to take for it. Uh, you know, he put out the visionary big ideas. And so regardless of the colour of politics, I go, I, I admired him for the fact that he challenged us to be significantly better and challenged us not to be afraid. And I kind of go... I admire him for that. Now, now on the whole flip side of that, Nathan, um, there's a couple of, funny enough, there's a couple of dairy farmers, you know, Ron and Nancy App, Nat, Ron Apps that you see in our, um, in our, our ad, you know, multi-generation farmer, just seeing how he behaved. Doug Moffat's another one who's you know, sadly passed away, but Doug and Gwen Moffat. The what good men and good women did in their community, how they behaved, how they set a standard for others to follow, uh, always stays with me as well. So I guess that's two ends of the spectrum. But I think I I probably try and take both those ends in. Yeah, and that's a really interesting um, perspective. And in, and in, in the superannuation industry that you know that, that mm. we work in, it's got mm. a lot to be thankful yes, for. Yes, um, given how that started as well mm. Um, mm. to to Paul Keating. Um, is there any advice that you'd, you'd give your younger self now that you know now that you maybe didn't listen to then or yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't have thought about? Well, it's funny. You know, I think in, in, you know, to my younger self, that period of time where I was really sort of going hard, if you like, and really trying, you know, trying to grow my farms, grow giant steps and, and grow bigger cheese, I think if I look back on then, you know, the irony was it, it, it wasn't necessarily too detrimental. I wasn't a good enough listener. I was too busy getting on with it and too busy thinking that, um, I had thought about it all and was, and, and that nobody, nobody else needed to sort of have too much input. I, they just needed to do what, what I said. And, and when I, and I think that 
probably served me well when we were small, but if I had stayed with that, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have continued to grow. We wouldn't have made it. Giant Steps wouldn't have kept going to the size that it, it now is and nor would have bigger. So, so somewhere, and I can't actually point to where, but somewhere the trigger flipped and I went, you're not going to do this out of just your own capability you, you're going you need others and you need to listen to others and I think you know that you know now I could have probably made my life easier if I had learned that earlier you know but um but uh, so that would probably be the biggest piece of advice I, I think we all we all could um yeah could listen to that and yeah. you know uh, yeah I've learned as well that over time you you, you tend to um pro, you know I guess move towards the skills you know you have and and let other people do things that Know that that you know you can't do, um, and that that's I think that's a, a process as well is working it is working that out and and letting those other people you know take those things that they're actually much better at yeah. than what than what you figure out you are. Yeah. Um. Uh, just to finish, um, I'll give you a just a one word answer choice here on a couple of things. Um, and I don't know anything about cattle, but um, Holstein or Jersey. Holstein. Pinot or Shiraz? Or both. (laughs) (laughs) Vegemite or peanut butter? Vegemite. And to know a lot about something or know something about a lot of things? So for me, something about a lot's important. Excellent. Well, thank you, Barry, for your time. Really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Thanks, Nathan. Always nice to catch up. Thank you for listening to the Good Investing Podcast. Subscribe to hear future episodes and for more information about Ethical Partners Funds Management, visit ethicalpartners.com.au.